and 17 have been no different. I want us to really focus this morning on verses 11 to verse 19. Last week we looked at the first part of this section. And, and, and what I'd like you to notice is Jesus actually has two requests to his father for his 11 disciples. The first one is for protection. And the second one is for sanctification. If you notice in verse 11, <clears throat> um, Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, uh, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father. The only time in Scripture you see these two words together, Holy Father. Holy meaning he's, he's other, he's separate, he's distinct. Kind of there's a distance between creation and creator. Father, there's intimacy. It's interesting when he brings these two together. Holy Father. That word holy is actually interesting because later he's going to use that same word in our English is going to have a different um, translation, but the same word is being used. But Holy Father, keep them in your name. The word keep has the idea of watch with the sense of guard and protect. Would you watch them? Would you keep them? Would you protect them? Would you guard them? He will later say the same thing. Would you protect them or keep them from the evil one? When you move down to um, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so there's a sense where Jesus is praying for his 11 disciples and say, will you protect them? Will you keep them? Will you guard them? Will you watch them? Isn't that a comfort? That God the Father watches his 11 disciples. That Jesus is praying that, that God the Father would watch his 11 disciples. And when Jesus prays according to the will of God, or when we pray according to the will of God, God hears that prayer and answers it. And so there's a certainty. There's a, the, the, these prayers are effective. Now understand that the 11 disciples, 10 of them were martyred, put to death. They, they lived a life of suffering. But God kept them. Even John lived a life of suffering. He wasn't, as far as we know, put to death, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos. So there was suffering in his life. Protect these 11. And protect them in your name. Some of you might have in front of you the NIV, which says something to the effect of protect them by the power of your name. The translators are struggling with a little preposition which can be translated in or by. And so when, when Jesus prays that, the context should help us understand, is he saying by your name or in your name? And we really don't know. Some translations will say in, some will say by. Because that same preposition can, 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 can tell us location, in, or can tell us how something happens, by. And so we can't be dogmatic on which way it is, but, but, but um, if it's by your name, then it would have this idea of by your power and your might. Remember, his name reflects his character and his attributes. And so Jesus would be praying something to this effect, Lord, by your power and by your might, with your strength, would you protect them, would you keep them? That will sing. And that's biblical because we see that exact phrase in the Psalms in several places. 
that God protects us by the power of his name. But it could also mean in your name. In other words, Lord, would you help them? Would you keep them so that they would remain in you, that they would abide in you, that they would be in relationship with you? And I, and I, I, I lean in that direction because of the context all around it seems to suggest that's what's going on. So regardless, Jesus prays, will you keep them? Either by his power, but certainly, would you keep them in? Would you, would, would, would you keep them in relationship with you? Would, would you keep them in, 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 in allegiance to you? That's how Jesus prays for the eleven. He carries on in, uh, verse, uh, in verse, verse 11. Would you keep them in, in your name, which you have given? We, we, used, we talked about that phrase last week, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's an astounding phrase. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before eternity began, was one being, one essence. They, they were in perfect unity. They always have been. And Jesus prays, will you keep them so that they may be one? Now, the idea isn't that they will become one, but that they would continue to be one. So Jesus is praying, would you keep them? Would you protect them? Would you watch them so that they may stay in relationship with you, that they may be one even as we are one? Now, typically when we think of oneness, we usually go, we, we, we first, or maybe that's just me, but we, 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 we tend to go, organizationally we're one or we're all under one roof i was trying all week trying to figure out how do i uh, unpack this one what does what does god mean what does jesus mean when he says we're one and all analogies fall short but i'm going to try to try okay so one of my major accomplishments this summer was i found space in her garage that is it's just astounding i i built shelves and the whole wall there's shelves and now everything in the garage has a place and you don't have to move 300 things to find one it, now it's just like you look at the shelf and you pull it off and there it is it's just astounding i should have done this like day one when we moved in but it's finally done and it's amazing. And so every time we pull up in the garage with the vehicle, which is astounding all in, in it of itself, I go to Lynn, look at this garage. It's so clean. We should have Thanksgiving dinner here. Now, I don't think she's convinced yet. But Thanksgiving's been on our, on our lips for the last little bit because we've been talking about this garage and Thanksgiving dinner in there. So, just because our entire family comes over for Thanksgiving dinner, we could say that's a reflection that we're one. But it doesn't really mean we're one, does it? Now, every family has their ar arguments and skirmishes, etc. So, some of our family might be Oiler fans, and some might be Flames fans, and, 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 and heaven forbid, some might be Canuck fans. And we might argue over that. And then we sit down and eat dinner. Would you say we're not one? 
probably would go, well, of course you're one. That, that those are secondary issues. Those aren't really important. Right? Help me out. Yeah, thanks, Jay. However, what if we were able to go back in time and we were having our Thanksgiving dinner in the Netherlands during the mid-40s where both my parents grew up during Nazi rule? And what if we were gathered around the table and 10 of us were engaged in the underground helping stop the Nazis, as many of my family members were. But one of us was an informer. Would we be one? No. There, there's something about this oneness. Oneness, one, one writer says, when, 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 when God speaks of his, us being one, he speaks of us being one in love. John chapter 13, verse 34, I think it is where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. He speaks of us being united in one, uh, in love. He speaks of us being united in purpose. Purpose meaning we have the same goal. We're, we're heading in the same direction. Uh, our, our task, and, and throughout this passage, God the Father sends Jesus the Son to, to the earth to die. And, and he does that, and he's always reflecting the glory of God the Father. And what is his disciples supposed to do? They're supposed to be sent into the world to tell the world about Jesus. They're to be witnesses of Jesus. So that as we tell people about Jesus, those people can see God the Father. And so there should be a common mission, a common purpose. There's also this aspect of common obedience. Like when, when, God, when Jesus says this is how we ought to live, then this is how we ought to live. There's, 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 a, there's a oneness in, in our purpose, a oneness in our love. There's a oneness in our holiness. I, I pointed to the word Holy Father. But if you go down in verse 17, Jesus prays later, sanctify them in truth. What he's, he's, the, the, the word sanctify there is the exact same word as holy. Holy in the, in the beginning is adjective. This is a, um, a verb in verse 17, but the same root word. In other words, he's saying, would you make them holy in your truth? And then he goes on, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. And that's the exact same word that he uses for sanctify. He says, I make myself holy. Now, I'll unpack that later, but there's, a, there's an element where God the Father is holy, God the Son's holy, and we are to be holy. And so there's a oneness. We're one in, we're one in love. We should be one in purpose, and we should be one in, in, um, in our holiness. And, and then we're to be one in truth. Throughout this passage, uh, Jesus is, is, is talking about truth throughout the Gospel of John. Sanctify them in truth. Whose truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Word is truth. John 5.39 tells us that all the Word po points to Jesus. So all of the Word tells us about who Jesus is, and so we're to be united around who Jesus is. My point is <clears throat> that we could all be in the same building. But if we're not united on our purpose, we're not united in truth, we're not united in love, then we're really not united. And that should happen at the local level, being united in truth, united in purpose. 
Are we rowing the boat together, all of us wanting to make Jesus known? If that's the case, we're united. If we really care for one another, we're loving one another, then we're, then we're united. And that, that should flow out in very practical ways. And Jesus prays about his disciples and says, Lord, would you keep them one? Would you, would you keep them one just as we are one? Would, you, would they love one another just as we love one another? Would they be united in purpose just as we are united in purpose? Would they be committed to the same truth just as we are committed to the same truth? Would they be holy just as we are holy? Go back to the Thanksgiving table. Change, maybe change the language a little bit. What if we were gathered around the table? I hate to use this, this, this uh, illustration, but this, it's an actual illustration that, that God himself uses over and over and over again. When we love something else, he calls it spiritual adultery. What if we were gathered around that table we were all excited to be there except I was having an affair. And so I'm there physically. But my heart and my mind would be somewhere else. Would we be one? No. Because my love is somewhere else. And, 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 and so when we're talking about Christ prays that we'd be one. He speaks of a unity that goes so far deeper than just simple organizational unity. We can be one and actually have three or four different churches and still be united because we have the same purpose and the same truth and desiring the same holiness. Now, let's carry on with this. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That, well, this is talking about Judas, and he says, the son of destruction. That was his destiny, but that was also his character. He's been lost. This is, this is so that Scripture might be fulfilled. Then I want us to jump to verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Why does he pray that God would guard them and keep them in relationship with the Father? Not because he's concerned about his statistics. But he's concerned about their joy. Did you catch that? Jesus wants us to be deeply, I'm going to use the word, happy. Now, each one of these 11, I have already said that, each one of these are going to suffer deeply. Ten of them are going to be martyred for their faith. But he prays for their joy, that their joy may be full. And that joy is ultimately, as we sang, when Jesus calls our name. That's how Jesus prays. He wants our joy. He wants, he wants us to have a joy. John chapter 15, I believe it's verse 11 he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to have life, as he says in this book, a life that's not only eternal but abundant. That's why he prays this way. Jesus continues. He says, 
verse 13, now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in, uh, verse 14, I'm sorry, I've given them your word and the world is, has hated them because they are not of the world, just as you, just, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you will keep them from the evil one. Here's another, would you protect them from the evil one, but there's also a sense, would you protect them from the world? And he says the world hates them. Now, can I ask a question? Maybe my neighborhood's different than yours, but I've got really good neighbors. And I, and I don't think of them as they hating me. Just yesterday, we one of them was out mowing his lawn, and we had a visit, and he, you know, he, he helped Lynn tell us how we can keep our our lawn so it looks better. Which is very helpful if we would take his advice, but it it doesn't seem like the world hates me. But let me ask you this. When you read the literature of the world or when you watch the movies of the world or when you listen to the music of the world, which I think we're supposed to do, when we watch the advertising of the world or even when we listen to the people that are around us, what do they want us, what are they trying to draw us to? They want us to love something else other than Christ. They're kind of like, instead of loving my wife, they they want me to love another. Now, I'm not saying they're wanting me to commit adultery. I'm, I'm saying they want me to commit spiritual adultery. The world doesn't know Christ. Doesn't grasp the joy that only he can give. And, and they and they and they and they and they and they kind of put the spotlight on tantalizing things, like flashy new cars or success or power, etc. Whatever it is, the, the world, the world hates us in that sense. Now I understand there has been cultures and contexts where the where the church has been attacked in big time ways, but today that that attack is much more subtle. The world doesn't want us to be one with the Father in relationship with the Father. The world wants us to be one with them, pursuing their dreams and pursuing their loves. And so we're to live in this world, but we're not to look like them. We're not, we're not to love what they love. We're not, to be, we're, not, we're not to be consumed with this getting ahead. We're to be consumed by making Jesus known. Does that make sense? And so that's how Jesus prays. Lord, would you, would you protect them from the world? And, and would, you, would you keep them from the evil one, verse 15? Now, we often don't think of the evil one. I, I don't usually wake up in the morning and go, you know what, i got a devil who's coming after me. But the Scripture makes it really, really clear that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul says in Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces that we don't see but is out to get us and destroy us we're told that G- that the satan is like an angel of light he's going to disguise himself and it's going to look good typically satan will come and clothed in a whole kinds of things that are almost right and hard to detect 
And Jesus prays for his 11 that he would that they that God would keep them in relationship with him that God would protect them from the world and from the the influences of the world and from the evil one and yet he says you need to remain there why because we're supposed to be witnesses we're to look different and that difference isn't we all have to dress like Elroy that's not the point good thing right the difference is that we love one another. The world should look at us and go, those people love each other. They actually like being together. They, they actually care for each other. They actually give of themselves for each other. The world should look at us and they go, they really love Jesus. They always talk about Jesus. To each other and to, to the God who they serve. The world should look at us and go, you know what? They're beating to a different drum. Their goal isn't the same. They're really not after power or comfort or whatever you can put in there, but they're after the fame and the glory of their God, their Jesus. They see that. They should see that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we're united. Now, very quickly, the second thing that Jesus prays for is found in verses 17 through 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Now, I had said earlier that, Je that God, that Jesus calls his Father holy in verse 11. Now, usually what I think of as soon as I hear the word holy, I think of someone who's without sin. That is true. But that word is deeper and richer than that. It actually means one set apart, distinct, separate. And so, yes, that means he's without sin. But it also means here's creation, here's creator. He's other. When Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth, he is praying that they would become more like the Father and more like the Son, that, we, that, 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 that there would be less and less sin, that we'd grow in, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that we would look more like Christ. But he's also saying, would you set them apart for your purposes? And, and why do I say that? Look at verse, um, verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself. This is what Jesus says. For their sake, I consecrate myself. He could say, and for their sake, I sanctify myself. Or for their sake, I make myself holy. Now, Pilate, I don't know how many times in the next chapter, in the chapter in verse 19, says that I find no fault with this man. Jesus was a man without sin. So Jesus didn't need to become holy. He didn't need to become without sin. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I consecrate myself, I sanctify myself, I make myself holy, he's saying, I'm setting myself apart. So in the temple, back in the Old Testament, there was all kinds of, there was all kinds of furniture in there. There was a, the, the candle the, um, that lit up the, um, the, the room. That candle was used for only one purpose, for the things of God. 
if you were a priest and it was really dark outside and you go, oh my goodness, I, I lost my keys outside, outside the tent, you would not go into the tent, grab the candle that was there, and you'd bring it out to go look for your keys. That was a no-no. That, that candle was meant for the things of God. It was set apart for the purpose of God. When Jesus says, I consecrate myself, he says, Lord, I am setting myself apart for your will, for your purpose, for your, what you want. And what was that? He's going to the cross. He says, Lord, I'm, this life is set apart for your purpose of me going to the cross so that I might die on behalf of the people of God. And when Jesus prays that we would be sanctified, that the Father would sanctify us, he's, he is praying, Lord, would you help them to grow so that there's less and less sin in their life? But he's also praying, and more importantly praying, Lord, would you set them apart for my purposes? Would you set them apart so that they become my witnesses, that they would tell the world about me? And so that's how Jesus prays for his 11 disciples. Now, Peter, James, John and the rest are no longer living. And as I look at this prayer, did God the Father answer this prayer? Absolutely. Those 11, the last 11 I would have picked if I was picking a team, a ragtag bunch, those 11 proclaimed the name of Jesus to such an extent that literally by the, by the, first, uh, it, it, by the first century, the, the, the gospel had already reached into Britain. Like it had spread. We believe it was in India with Thomas. We believe it was down in Africa. We know it was down in Africa from the, from the book of Acts. It, it had spread. Because these individuals had been set aside for the purposes of God. They had gone out and did what the Lord had done. They had, they, had been, they had remained in allegiance with God even when it cost them their life. They were one just as the Father and the Son were one. This is how Jesus prayed for the 11. I believe this is how Jesus prays for us. We're going to start seeing that in the, in, in the next section next week. So what do we do with that? You say, okay, well, that's, that's all good and well and done. What do we do with that? I think he should teach us how to pray. When I pray for Lynn, one of the things I should be praying for is, Lord, would you sanctify her? Would you, would you set her apart for your purposes? Would you, would you continue to use her for your glory, for your will? May she be a witness in the city. That's how I should be praying for her. Not just that her cancer's gone. I do pray that way too. But the, Lord, would you keep her in relationship with you? Would you keep her in allegiance to you? Would, would, she, would she remain in love with you, in love with your people? Lord, would you do that in her life? Would you keep her in the truth? That's how Jesus would pray for us. That's how I ought to pray for Lynn. That's how I ought to pray for my children. That's how I ought to pray for my grandchild. That's how I should ought to be praying for you. And that's how Jesus will pray for us. 
But not only does it teach us how to pray, but it, I just stand amazed when I stop to think that Jesus, just hours before he goes to the cross, he knows where he's going. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be butchered on that cross. He's going to willingly give his life. They're going to mock him. They're going to ridicule him. He's going to be placed in a place of incredible shame. And as he does that, before he does that, he, he, he stops and he pauses to pray for his disciples and for us. And he prays for what is incredibly important. Lord, would you keep them in your name or by the power of your name so that they may continue to be one and Lord, would you sanctify them in your truth? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. But the truth is, as, I, as, as we've just seen you pray for us, Lord, you love us. Your love is remarkable. Your love is actually other-centered even as you're walking to the cross. Thank you. And I thank you, Father, that your prayers are effective. As you prayed, as you told Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. It was your prayer, Lord, that kept him. Thank you. And it's your prayer, Lord, that keeps us. Thank you. Lord, now as we gather around this table, would we stop and, and ponder what you've done for us? Would we remember how you gave your life for us, how you shed your blood, how you forgave us of our sins, how we don't, as we remember what you've done, Lord, would we recommit to what you have called us to? Would, you re, would we recommit in our allegiance and our love and our purpose? Lord, would you breathe your fresh winds, your spirit upon us, and would you use us for your glory and your precious name we pray. Amen. We close every service around the table and thank you, David and Kathy, for putting that together. As we gather around the table, we pause and just we just want to remember what Christ has done. He, he goes to the cross and dies in our place. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But we also want to remember that someday, because of his resurrection, we look forward to the, the supper at the last day, where we'll sit at the table, completely one, united. With God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to join us. Come around the table. Jay, could I call on you to help me?